Well, good morning, church. We're excited that you're joining us this morning. I'm excited today because we're beginning a brand new series called Overcoming Spiritual Vertigo. You know, when you think about vertigo, I remember a time in my life where I had a terrible experience with vertigo. It was about uh, 17 years ago. I was sitting in my office. I was a student pastor at the time, and I was about ready to take our teenagers to see a Christian concert uh, group called Third Day. You may have heard of them, and we were about ready to go, and one of, the, one of the adults going on my trip with us came in and was sitting in my office, and we're having a conversation. All of a sudden, as I was looking at her, the room began to spin. I mean, she began to spin, and all of a sudden, there was this weird feeling that just kind of came all the way over me. And so, obviously, I was not in any condition at that moment to drive a vehicle to take our kids to a concert. So I let other adults handle it. I went to the urgent care that night, and, and they went in. They basically said, hey, we just, we just need to clean your ears out. That's, that's all the problem is. So I kind of went there, and then I was done with it. And then about a week later, I was sitting on my couch and all of a sudden, I began to hear this ringing in my ear, my head got heavy, and the room began to spin. The only difference this time was the room didn't stop spinning. In fact, I began to feel nauseous to the point where I'm literally on my hands and my knees trying to crawl to the bathroom because everything's spinning so in such a great way. Now, the problem with vertigo for me was this, is that in the midst of it, all I wanted was things to stop spinning. All I wanted was to be able to look at something to bring everything back into focus because it didn't matter which way I turned my head, up, down, side, or left, or whatever I did, no matter where I looked, everything moved. And it was one of the most miserable experiences of my life. In fact, even to today, I have bouts with vertigo. Now, I mention that because of this. I think many of us experience the same thing, maybe not physically, but we wrestle with spiritual Vertigo. Let me give you a, the dictionary's definition of vertigo. It's this, a type of dizziness where there's a feeling of motion when one is stationary. In other words, when you're still and everything's moving. And spiritually, I think that happens to many of us. Things that come into our life, maybe it's things that, that, that we brought into our lives or things that just happen in life that come into our lives that create the spiritual dizziness. It gets us to a place where it knocks us off balance. It makes us feel like our lives are spinning out of control. And the thing about it is this, I know this about spiritual vertical, and maybe you know this as well, is that spiritual vertigo, when things come into our lives, whether we brought them in or not, cause us spiritually to get out of whack, out of balance, life spiraling and spinning out of control, it sidelines us in our relationship with the Lord. And it sidelines us in living a life that's honoring and pleasing to the Lord. And so as we begin this series, it's so important for us to ask this question. How do I overcome that spiritual vertigo? So if you have your Bibles, Hebrews chapter 12 is what I want to be this morning. I want to read just two verses. Hebrews chapter 12, I want to begin reading in verse 1. It says this, the writer of Hebrews says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that has been set before us, looking to Jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Now, I love how the writer of Hebrews begins this. He talks about these, this cloud of witnesses. Now, why would he do that? Well, think about it for just for a moment. The writer of Hebrews is writing to the first century Christians, those that have been struggling, those that have faced persecution, faced many different things in their life. 
And he's letting them know, hey, listen, no matter what you're going through, I want you to know something, that what you're facing is not unique to you. What you're going through is not unique to you. There are other people, a great cloud of witnesses, who've experienced what you're experiencing. They, the people that have gone on before you and have gone through the same things that you're going through, and even as they've gone through them, they remain faithful, and you can do it too. It's almost as if the writer of Hebrews is not offering, only offering a word of encouragement, but he's offering a word of motivation. He's like, listen, for those of us that are going through spiritual vertigo, things have come into our life that's knocked us off balance and are causing us to feel like we're out of control and life is spinning out of control, it's a great reminder for us to realize this. There are those that have gone before us spiritually and, and those that have lived the life of faith that have gone through some of the same things we're going through. And as they went through them, they remain faithful, and so can we. And then he lists four things that we need to do, and four things for us that if we're going to overcome spiritual vertigo, that we have to do. And here's the first one. We must lay aside weighty things. Look at me in verse 1. He says this, Since therefore we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight. So if we're going to overcome spiritual vertigo, first and foremost, we have to lay aside every weighty thing. Now, when you think about it, when he's talking about weighty things, he's talking about things that spiritually weigh us down. Another way of saying this is things that spiritually are burdens that weigh heavy on our hearts. And what the writer of Hebrews is trying to communicate is that we not only need to recognize those things, now hear me, we need to lay them aside. We need to kick them to the curb. We need to cast them off of us. Now, don't make any mistake about it. When he says that, and you begin to think about that, you say, okay, Doug, well, there's some weighty things that have come into my life, some things that have burdened me heavily. Are you just saying that he's telling me that I need to ignore those things or to disregard those things? Absolutely not. I really believe the heart of what the writer of Hebrews is getting at is that when we have weighty things in our life, we need to deal with those things, but listen, but then we need to move on. I don't know about you, but for me in my life, there's been so many times that weighty things have happened in my life, and I found myself dealing with those, but I let them linger. I let them stay around. I dwell on those things. And what the writer of Hebrews is encouraging us is that we need to lay aside those weighty things, that we need to deal with what those weighty things are, and that we need to move on and not let them linger and continue to hold us down. So here's the question that, that she calls us to ask. Doug, what are some of those weighty things? What are some of the weighty things that spiritually cause spiritual vertigo in my life that knock me off balance and cause the world to spin out of control? Well, let me give you a few. And there's many, many more, but let me give you a few. One of those is just bad decisions. Now, I'm not talking about decisions as it relates to sin. I'm just talking about decisions you made, you prayed about, you thought about, or just decisions you thought was the right decision to make, and it proved to be the wrong decision. Maybe that was an investment you made financially. Maybe that was an investment you made in a person. You thought this person really could be someone I could share my life with and I could, I could maybe share some insights with, I could be vulnerable with, and you found out in the end you couldn't be vulnerable because what you said to them was said to everybody else and it was a bad decision. Maybe it's a bad decision related to your family. I, I'm ashamed to say this, but I've made some bad decisions that relates to my family. I remember that for Sonia, when we first got married, she was always so faithful when we go visit her family in Tennessee, she was always so faithful to make sure that we would go spend time with her grandparents. I mean, always. We would go to, to Murfreesboro to visit her family, and then we would drive another hour and a half to go visit her two sets of grandparents to make sure we got to spend time with them. 
And she was always telling me when we go to see my family, hey, Doug, while we're there seeing your mom and your dad and your brother and your sister, let's not go forget to see your grandparents. And so we, with her, we would drive an hour and a half to make sure we did that. And when we go see my family, I wouldn't even drive really five or 10 minutes to make sure that happened. Yeah, I saw my grandparents, but not as many times as I should. And as I look back on that, there's moments in my life even now that I wrestle with, you know, because you know, grandparents are always the ones forgotten, right? They're the ones that when you go see about it, they're kind of the, the afterthought. And I look back on my life, and honestly, I have regrets. I had amazing grandparents, and I didn't spend the time I could have. So maybe one of the weighty things in your life is a bad decision. Maybe one of the weighty things in your life is a hardship that's come your way. Maybe you've experienced some kind of hardship, and it has caused you to unravel. It has unhinged you spiritually, and you're wrestling with that. Maybe it's a hardship. Maybe it is a broken relationship. Maybe you've gone through a terrible breakup. Maybe you've gone through a terrible divorce. Maybe you've got a friendship that has gone south and it's become volatile. Maybe that has become a weighty thing on you that is weighing you down spiritually. It's causing life to be spinning out of control. Or maybe one of the weighty things is a loss or a death of a loved one. Someone that you care about and your heart is broken over that loss. Now hear me. See, these weighty things that happen just come into life. They're things that happen to us that we didn't necessarily bring into our lives, but they, they occur. And these are things that burden us down. And so when the writer of Hebrews says, listen, if you're going to live this kind of life, and for us, if we're going we're to overcome spiritual vertical, we've got to lay aside the weighty things in life. We've got to deal with those things, but then we've got to move on. We've got to deal with the bad decisions, but then move on. We've got to deal with the hardships of life, but then move on. We've got to deal with the brokenness in our relationships, but then move on. We've got to deal with the death and the loss of those we love and care about, but then we've got to keep living. We've got to move on. Why? Because if we don't, listen, if we don't, these weighty things will continue to cause our life to spiral out of control, to spin out of control. We will find ourselves spiritually at a place where all we're doing is seeking answers and understanding. We will spend our life spiritually living in a place of regret and the what ifs of life. And we may even go to the place that we will spend our life even beginning to doubt God. Does God really love me? Does God really have a plan? Does God really have a purpose? Does God really even care? See, if we don't lay aside the weighty things, it will continue to spin our life out of control. And instead of living a life that's honoring and pleasing and making a difference for the Lord, we will live in a place of regret. We will live in a place of doubt. We will live in a place where we're searching for understanding that maybe it's not ours to understand. See, weighty things not only hold us down, they hold us back. Now, I love sports. I do. I love sports. I played sports in high school, but there's one sport that I never participated in, and it was track. Obviously, you can tell that by my size. I never ran track at all, but I love to watch runners. I love to watch the sprinters. I love to watch the 50-meter dash. It used to be they don't do it anymore, but the 100-meter dash, I love to watch those things. And several years ago, I was watching Bob Costas in the Olympics, the Summer Olympics, and, and, and he was interviewing a, a runner, and they began to talk about running and, and what made them so successful. And I thought what I was going to hear was their focus on technique, their focus on different things like that. But what this runner began to talk about was this. He said that as a runner, the most important thing, the greatest enemy to being an effective runner, you know what it was? Wait. Wait. 
If they undertrain, they're going to be too heavy. If they overeat, they're going to be too heavy. If they don't have the right kind of shoes, their feet are going to be too weighty. If they don't wear the right kind of clothes, that's too much weight. Weight was the primary thing. And for this runner, he said, the most important thing for me to be preoccupied with as a sprinter is my weight. And I thought to myself, maybe that's what we need to be preoccupied to. What is the weighty things that's pulling us down? What are the weighty things in our lives that are causing us to experience this spiritual vertigo? And when we do what the writer of Hebrews say, and when we lay them aside, deal with them, but then move on. And then he says the second thing we need to do is we need to lay aside the sin that so easily entangles us. Go back to verse one with me if you would. It says this, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run the race. Now he says, listen, I want you to lay aside every weight and sin that entangles us. When I was a kid, my dad loved to go rabbit hunting. I loved rabbit hunting. And we had this dog, and it's one of my, probably one of the only dogs in my life that I truly loved. His name was Red. He was an amazing dog. And I remember one day we were hunting, and I heard my dog make a sound I never heard him make before. It was a sound of him being hurt. And he was in the middle of this massive rabbit briar patch. I mean, it was like, where I come from, Missouri, I mean, it's like thorns. I mean, it was thick. And he was in there, and he was injured. And I was determined I was going to save my dog. So you know what I did? I just laid my gun down, and I started running, and I began to run through this briar patch. And about three steps into it, guess what happened? I fell flat on my face. Now, my, my intentions were great, but here's something I forgot to think about. That when I stepped into that briar patch, I was stepping among, amongst all those briars that had different patterns that were wrapping themselves around my foot, and eventually all that entangled my feet, and I fell face forward. See, that's the imagery that I have when he says, lay aside every sin that entangles us. Listen, sin entangles us. And if you look at the original language here, he's not talking about just this overarching struggle we have with sin. He's talking about specific sin, that we need to look at our lives and go, what is the specific sin that is causing me and entangling me and is pulling me down? Because if we don't deal with that, we need to know this, that that sin is going to wrap itself around us and we're going to continue to fall on our face over and over and over again. We need to lay it aside. And I think it's important for us to ask this question. What is the sin that's in my life that needs to be dealt with? Listen, you're never going to overcome spiritual vertigo if sin is reigning and ruling in your life. So what is that sin? Is it a secret sin? A sin that nobody knows about, only God knows? Is it a sin of unbelief? What is the sin that's in your life, in my life, in our lives that need to be dealt with? And then once we recognize those we need to put them aside. See, I find it interesting that it's the weighty things in life and it's the sin that we allow into our life that causes spiritual vertigo. But I hear this, and you know this to be true because maybe you're living it. Many of us have these weighty things. Many of us have this sin that's entangling us, but yet we still try to live the Christian life, don't we? We try to live our life and run this race with things that are weighing us down and they're entangling our faith. And here's what we find out. We don't run very far and we sure don't run very fast, do we? And eventually we collapse. But when we lay off the weighty things and we take off the things that entangles the sin and we lay it aside, then and only then 
will we be able to see clearly and begin to bring focus back into our lives? And then we're ready to do the third thing he says, which is run the race. Look at me in verse 1 again. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin that clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race set before us. He said, I want you to run the race. Once you've laid this stuff aside, I want you to run the race. Now, what's the race he's talking about? He's talking about the Christian life. I want you to get back in the games, what he's saying. I know the weighty things have weighed you down. I know the sin has entangled you. I know that these things that have come into your life, whether you brought them in or they just happened to you, I know they have sidelined you. But once you lay those things down, once you put them aside, once you've dealt with them and move on, here's what I want to say to you. Get back in the race. Quit being a spectator. Get out of the bleachers and get back in the race of life. See, so many of us know what the weighty things are. We know what the sin is, and maybe we've dealt with them, but we're like a wounded animal just sitting there having our own little pity party going, does anybody notice that I've been hurt? Does anybody notice that I've been injured? Does anybody notice that I have been broken? And what the writer of Hebrews is saying is this, is that once you lay this stuff down aside, there's a mission that we have, and you've got to get back in the race. You matter in the kingdom of God. So don't stay sidelined get into the race. Don't be a spectator. Get back on the field. And he tells us that this race is to be run with endurance. Now think about that for a moment. Endurance. The Greek word there means the race is more of a marathon than it is a sprint. However, my experience in the Christian life is this, is that many people live their Christian life like it's a sprint. Here's what I mean. We go to church, we hear great worship, maybe we hear a great message, God begins to convict us, we make a decision, and we're determined as we leave that week, we're going to do everything we can to honor God's word and live that way. And so the next week, man, we're sprinting out of the gates. I mean, we're doing it, we're living it, we're, we're, we're focused on it, but then two weeks later, we've forgotten it. A month later, a year later, it's just a vague memory. See, that's how we live as a sprint. What the writer of Hebrews says this, we need to live like it's a marathon, a marathon meaning this, is that our goal is not to beat anybody. Our goal, listen, our goal is to finish the race. That's why the Apostle Paul told Timothy this. He said, I fought a good fight, and I have what? Finished the race. And oh, by the way, in the middle of that, I kept the faith. That's what the writer of Hebrews is telling us. You need to not only get off the bench but run the race, but you have to run the race with endurance. It's a marathon. Now, if we're going to run with endurance, we've got to have some of the same qualities that a runner would have. We have to have discipline. I mean, if you've ever watched a sprinter or a marathon runner, I mean, they are so disciplined about what they eat, their training, their calories. I mean, they are extraordinarily disciplined. And you and I need to do the same thing. We need to be disciplined in our obedience to this book, to God's Word. If we're going to run a race of endurance, we have to be disciplined to obey God's word. We have to be disciplined to make sure we're spending daily time pursuing, deepening the intimacy with our Heavenly Father. We have to be disciplined. The runners also not only are disciplined, but they have they 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 self-sacrifice. I mean, think about what runners give up to succeed. 
Think about the time they spend in training. Think about the places they don't go because they need to protect themselves and guard themselves and make sure they're the best shape they can be, both physically and mentally. And the same thing's true with us. If we're going to run this race with endurance, not only do we need to be disciplined, but there's going to be some self-sacrifice on our part. There's going to be some things in our life that we're going to have to give. We're going to have to heart that says, we're going to have to have a heart that says, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. What do you want with my life? What do you want me to do? How do you want me to live, Lord? It has to be self-sacrifice. But there also has to be determination. One thing about runners, and I love hearing these stories, is runners who, who train so hard and work so hard that eventually fall into an injury. And it puts them on the sidelines. And how those runners don't let those injuries hold them back, how they work harder in rehab, how they go to the physical therapist and they work harder and they work harder and they work harder and eventually they come back with this great determination. Why? Because they realize the goal they set before them and that goal was to be a winner. That goal was to run the race and to win. And I think the same thing's true for us. We have to have determination. I know there's weighty things that come into our lives that silence. I know that. I know there's times we let sin into our life. That I know that. But we have to have this determination to say, you know what? I'm not giving up. I'm not giving in. I have been made in the image of God, and I have a purpose for my life, and that's to bring honor and glory to the name of Jesus. And after I've laid all this stuff aside, I'm going to get into the race. I am determined to live a life for the Lord. See, once we lay aside the weighty things, once we lay aside the sin that's in our life, we have to make a decision to get into the race to no longer be a spectator, but to be a runner. Which leads us to the fourth thing he tells them, that if we're going to run in this race called life, the fourth thing we have to do is fix our eyes on Jesus. Look with me in verse 2. Look what he says here. He says, run the race of endurance, the race set before us, looking to Jesus. It actually could be translated, fixing your eyes on Jesus, who is the founder or author, perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, scorning this shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Here's what the writer of Hebrews says. If we're going to live a life that's pleasing to the Lord, we need to lay aside this weighty things. We need to lay aside the sin that entangles. We need to run the race. But last of all, we need to make sure that we fix our eyes on Jesus. He's not talking about a glance. He's talking about a staring competition. And you know this from the story of Peter. When Peter's in the boat and he goes to see Jesus, I mean, Jesus literally allows him to walk on water. Where was Peter's focus? It was on Jesus. And the moment he took his eyes off of Jesus, what happened? He sang. So when his eyes were on Christ, Jesus did the impossible with Peter. But when he took his eyes off Christ, he sank and he fell. And the same thing's true with us. The writer of Hebrews wants us to understand that we must have singular focus, then we need to take our eyes off of all the distractions of the world and put them on Jesus. Jesus needs to be our focus. I remember when my middle son Daniel was in track, because one reason I love watching track was probably because of him. Daniel was extraordinarily fast. I mean, like unbelievably fast, but his technique was terrible. 
And his head movement was terrible. Now, you may not be a runner, know anything about that. I don't think as a runner, but I remember listening to coaches talk to him. And one thing they taught Daniel was two things. Number one is you have to reduce the movement of your body to go faster. So if you have any movements that are not necessary, it's going to slow you down. And the second and the most important thing is that if you're running the race, you have to have a focal point. Because Daniel, when he would run, if you stood behind Daniel, he would run like this. Now, it wasn't that drastic, but it wasn't ever a straight line. He would go from one edge of his lane to the other edge. But when you get a focal point, you run straighter. And listen, here's the point. Jesus is to be our focal point. We are to look and to fix our eyes on him. He is our focal point. Why? Because he is the author and perfecter of our faith. Jesus is the example of faith. Think about it. He was tempted in every way known to man. And did he ever sin? No. In the deepest, most difficult times of his life, he prayed one prayer. Not my will, but Father, your will be done. Jesus even was so filled with joy that he was going to reconcile humanity to the Father that he was willing to endure the cross, scorning its shame, and now he sits at the right hand of the Father. See, Jesus is our example of faith. So when life gets confusing, we look to Jesus. When life is spinning out of control, we look to Jesus. When life isn't fair, we look to Jesus. When we are faced with persecution for our faith, guess what? We look to Jesus. If we are going to succeed and run the race that Jesus called us to run, the race of life and a life that brings honor and glory to him, we must keep our eyes on Jesus. So if we're going to overcome spiritual vertigo, we have to lay aside the weighty things in life. Maybe it's bad decisions for you. Maybe it's hardships. Maybe it's the death of someone. Maybe it's just a broken relationship. We have to deal with it and lay aside those weighty things. We have to lay aside the sin that's entangling us so easily. And we have to decide to get off the sidelines and get into the race. Run the race with discipline self-sacrifice, and determination. And as we run that race, our focal point is the person of Jesus, looking to him in everything. Now, for those of us that are believers, I think we have to ask ourselves some questions. I think one question we have to ask ourselves is, what is the weighty thing in my life that I need to lay aside? What is it? You know what it is. You knew it a while ago when I was talking about it. What is it that I need to deal with and lay aside? What is the sin that's entangling me that I need to confess to the Lord and to let go of? And are you willing to lay aside those weighty things? Are you willing to lay aside that sin? And then the second question I think we need to ask ourselves is this, is that do you feel like with all the weighty things and the sin that you've allowed in your life, do you feel like you're sidelined in your faith? Do you feel like you're a spectator in the bleachers watching the game of life happen in, happen in front of you, but you're not in it? You're in the stands, maybe you're cheering, maybe you're yelling, maybe you're criticizing and judging people, but you're not in it. Will you make a commitment to get back into the race and realize that God has a plan and a purpose for your life to make a difference, and would you commit to get back into the race and get off the bleachers and back into the game? Then the third question I think we have to ask ourselves as believers is this, is where's our focus this morning? Is our focus on the circumstances, the weighty things, the sin that's in our life, or is our focus on Jesus. And when we commit 
to put our focus on him. When we commit to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. As a believer, I think we've got to ask some questions. Will I lay aside the weighty things? Will I lay aside the sin? Will I commit to run the race? And will I commit to putting my eyes on Jesus? Now hear me, if we do that, we will begin to overcome the spiritual vertigo of life. If not, we're just going to stay in it. We're going to stay in the misery of life spinning out of control. We're going to stay in the misery of life knocking us off balance. So you have a choice to make. Will you commit to those things or not? And if you're watching and you say, Doug, I, I don't have a personal relationship with Christ, here's what I want to say to you. Your life will be in a perpetual state of spinning out of control. Only Jesus can bring your life into focus. Only Jesus experiencing how much he loves you will bring your life into focus. Only thinking about and understanding the gravity of our sin and how it separates us from God will bring your life into focus. And only understanding the hope that we have because Jesus died on the cross and if we put our faith in him that we would have eternal life can bring your life into focus. And maybe for the first time you need to receive Christ as your Savior. It's as simple as just saying, Lord, I admit that I've sinned against you. And I believe with everything in me that Jesus is your son, that he died on the cross for my sins. And I confess you as Lord and Savior of my life. And I surrender my life to you to be the boss and master of me. If you'll just simply pray that, your life will be forever changed. Your eternity will be forever changed. And what seems to be spinning out of control in your life will all of a sudden gain a level of clarity. So for believers and for those who are non-believers, we have a choice to make this morning. And what decision will you make? Would you pray with me? Father God, I love you. I thank you for this moment we've had. I thank you for your word that you've given us. And God, as for believers, as we think about spiritual vertigo, as we think about things that come into our lives, whether we brought them there or they just happened to us, that kind of cause life to spin out of control, cause life to spiral out of control, cause life to get out of balance and out of whack, Lord, we know that's true. But if we want to overcome that, Lord, help us understand and realize there's some things that we have to lay aside. But once we do that, we have to make a commitment to get back in the game, to get back in the race. And as we do that, the only way we will succeed is by fixing our eyes on Jesus, looking to him, the author and perfecter of our faith. So God, I pray for believers in this moment that we would make those decisions. We would look at our lives, lay some things aside, commit to get back in the race, and commit to putting our eyes on Christ. But Lord, I also pray for those who don't know you, that in this moment they would now have understanding and clarity of why life seems to be spinning out of control, because they don't know the person who can bring it into control. They don't know the person that can bring focus to their lives. And so Lord, I pray that in this moment, in this very hour, but they would receive Jesus as their Lord and their Savior. God, I love you, I thank you, and we adore you for all that you've done for us. For it's in your precious and your holy son's name we pray. And everybody said amen, amen, amen.